start by listening. Start by listening. Every problem we try to solve in every CX initiative that we pursue, you would be amazed at the frequency with which we forget to listen, that we forget to start with voice of the customer. And because oftentimes organizations such as Daimler believe that we know, we make assumptions. We think we know the right way. But our customers, if you would just take the time to listen to them in the front end and really understand what their pain point is, you would then inform what is the right problem we're trying to solve. Too many times we make those assumptions and it leads us down the wrong path. And we end up solving something that never needed to be solved. Hello and welcome to the Customer Experience Show. Today we're talking with Christy Langdon, head of the Customer Experience team at Daimler Trucks North America. Christy started the very first customer experience organization at Daimler and launched a Voice of the Customer program. She effectively transformed DTNA to follow an outside-in business model and become a customer-centric company. In this episode, Christy talks about setting employees up for a successful delivery of the customer experience, the importance of connecting every employee with your end customers, and how CX actually starts with LX, or leadership experience. But first, a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by IBM. If you are responsible for customer experience, we created a white paper just for you. In the CX Northstar report, you can learn more about how to activate your CX vision. Download it with the link in the show notes. Traditionally, the customer experience journey stopped after the sale, and business-facing employees had no contact with clients. But that's all changing. For Daimler Trucks, Christy Langdon is flipping customer experience on its head. She's sending internal employees out into the field and extending the customer experience way past the sale of the vehicle. She's transforming the way Daimler defines their CX. Today, we're learning from her about the road to CX transformation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Customer Experience Show. I'm your host, Phil Dillard, here today with Christy Langdon from Daimler Trucks. How are you doing today, Christy? I'm doing great. How are you, Phil? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's a... So it's starting to turn into the summer in San Francisco, which means it's time for kids to go back to school. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's really, really great. Great to have you with us. And so much looking forward to having a, a chat with you about uh, what's going on with, with you. So, um, gosh, trying to figure out where to get started. I usually start with this, an easy question. How do you describe your current position and um, how long have you been there? So I have been at Daimler Trucks North America for about seven years, and I've been in my role as the head of customer experience for about four and a half now. And the way I would describe my role is to help ensure that all of the stakeholders in our ecosystem are focused on the end customer experience. And evolving that to a place that will never be perfect, but continuously focusing on improving that. And what we mean by that typically in our line of business as the manufacturer and designer of large commercial vehicles is making it easier and easier for our customers to do business with us. And how do you describe your customer? Yeah, we are in the B2B2C space. And our customers are businesses who are typically carrying freight from point A to point B and or they're customers who are purchasing a commercial vehicle that have a job to do, such as mining or waste management, et cetera. And we sell about half of our vehicles directly to our end customers. And then we sell half of our vehicles through our network of dealerships across Canada, U.S., and Mexico. Got it. Okay. And these sound like pretty uh, big pieces of, a, of equipment and, a, and, a, and maybe even a, a pretty long sales cycle. So when you talk about making it easier and easier to do business with us, what is it that's changing that makes it uh, that makes it that you're trying that you're working hard to do this. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'll I'll share with you a little bit about 
um, kind of historically how we've seen that and and how that has changed over the course of the last five to 10 years or so. So historically, we see ourselves as solely the 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 um, manufacturing and engineering firm who is creating these vehicles. We, we have a lot of pride in what we make and we have the market share to back that up. We have about 40% market share. And so, you know, we are an engineering or a German engineering company. And, and with that, there's kind of a lot of, as I mentioned before, pride associated with it. Historically, we have seen ourselves as, you know, okay, so we've sold the vehicle into the market and thank you very much, we're done. Um, and what we've since learned, you know, as with, you know, our customers are shopping as consumers at Amazon and, and other, um, at other very customer centric organizations. And so that has influenced the expectation that they have had in working with us. So what that, what that means is their expectation after they purchase the vehicle is far greater than it used to be, right? So our customer journey begins with our customer saying, okay, I, I need to purchase a commercial vehicle and go, navigating through that purchasing process and then the delivery process. And then from there, um, you know, th- then operating that vehicle in new, very digitized ways and then eventually that vehicle needs a service and or repair. And then, you know, and then eventually they'll resell it. So <clears throat> for our customers, the, the, these $150,000 plus vehicles that they're purchasing from us are a tool to get a job done. And when that tool is not up and running, they're losing money. So our job in terms of making it easier to do business with us is, you know, not only having a great product and making sure that quality is of the, you know, the, 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 the best possible quality, but it's in all of the other touch points after the sale of the vehicle as well. Sure. Uh, that makes a lot of sense in dealing with machines. Once they get out the door, there's, if you're a provider of something, people like you, you bought a, you bought a widget you put it in and off it goes. Right. But if you're saying that the consumerization has changed the relationship, so there's more and more that's built after the sale that that leads into actually the next sale. That's, that's gotta be an interesting challenge at the organization itself, because you described it as being a German manufacturing company that has a history of doing things a certain way. So can you comment a little bit on, I mean, some of this, it sounds like market changes, but also sounds like there needs to be culture changes in order for all your stakeholders to get, to get on board in the same regard. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think the story that I'll share there is, um, is, uh, that really very well indicates kind of the the, the, the need for culture change to become more customer centric in our organization is when we initially decided as an organization to do this, when I went into our operating committee and made the pitch that there is a business case for transforming ourselves to become more customer centric. Our CEO at the time said, I love this idea. I see a real need for it. And I'd like to, to kind of kickstart this customer centricity with a customer experience day where all of our employees stop what they're doing and focus on customers. And so our first ever customer experience day, every single one of our locations, every single one of our employees was engaged in it at various locations. And at our headquarters location here in Portland, Oregon, we invited in a lot of customers to share straight from their mouths, what it's like to do business with us. And in the audience, we had engineers, we had IT professionals, we had those from purchasing all throughout the organization, many of whom have never actually spoken to a customer. So I recall one of our largest customers speaking that day. And at one point he said, and this quote has become somewhat famous or infamous within our organization, he said to the audience, you guys have great people. We love the people that we work with. You have an amazing product, but your processes, man, your processes, you've got some work to do. And I think 
you know, it was in the context of that conversation in which this audience full of engineers, you could literally watch their jaws drop to the floor, you know, as they were hearing this very constructive feedback um, about, wow, we, we aren't maybe as great as we thought we were. We aren't thinking above and beyond just these, these beautiful vehicles that we're creating. And so thus began this transition, this, this openness, this willing to listen and accept this feedback as not, not in defensive mode, but instead as how can we leverage this feedback to, to get better? And so you could hear people begin to to ask questions as we began to dialogue about this within the organization, like, well, who is our customer? Is it the dealer? Is it the driver? Is it the purchase? Is it the person purchasing the vehicle and so on and so forth? Or what about those of us who don't directly interface with the end customer? Do we have customers? And so where we landed is the end customer, the business who was purchasing this vehicle is our customer. But in addition to that, every single one of us, regardless of where you work in the organization, has internal customers or indirect customers. And so anybody that you're engaging with, you're collaborating with, you're, you know, anybody who calls you on the phone um, at the office, they're your customer. So, and that all, and how you engage with, you know, either directly or indirectly with, with internal customers or end customers all impacts the overall customer experience. It makes a lot of sense. It is um, somewhat of a common thread when I'm hearing people who are seeing a transformation say our, our culture needs to make, to make a change. And you've, you've done like a, a, a great example in the playbook right, of how to get people going, because you have to get senior buy-in, senior level buy-in. You have to get people who are actually going to believe um, believe someone that this is an issue, that this is something that matters to them. And often the people who are who are distant from customers are either like protected or insulated from customers, or they don't believe some of the things that some folks are saying to them when they're relaying messages back from the customer. So hearing them directly from them is great. Well, my question is like, how did you get to the you said the operating uh, committee the senior the senior level of the of the organizations to get this sort of sort of buy in what opened that door because that's often a difficult one to go through yeah you know um, that story is kind of a serendipitous one first of all when I came into the organization I came from a banking background so I naturally had I was more attuned to customer experience in that regard so when I arrived. And didn't see my first job at DTNA was to oversee an internal consulting unit that was responsible for overseeing and tracking strategic initiatives. And we reported out directly to our board or to our operating committee on the, the success of those. So I had that vantage point coming in that none of those strategic initiatives were customer service were customer focused at all. They were all kind of efficiency focused. You know, how do we improve our pricing? Very kind of internally focused initiatives. So I was initially from day one, very curious why that was. And so over the course of my early days at DTNA, I was empowered to explore this topic a little bit. So I had some time, some runway and began to socialize this question of, should we become, is there value at DTNA in us becoming more customer centric? And as a small group of us began to socialize this, we engaged with some senior leaders and we're kind of given the, the approval to, to go straight to our board and make this proposal. Now, the serendipitous part is that coincidentally, our newly placed CEO at the time had just been on a whirlwind customer visit tour. His background was one of manufacturing rather than kind of more customer focused. And so he wanted to just, you know, touch and ask questions and, and better understand what that looked like. And when he went on that whirlwind tour, he was told <laughs> very transparently, you've got some work to do. So in iWalk, unbeknownst to me, making this proposal that we should become more customer centric, the timing couldn't have been better. So that really worked in our favor. And what I'll say about that is the experience made me really realize how important, particularly in a large global bureaucratic siloed organization it is 
to have leadership support of an of an initiative such as this. It's critical. You have to have that support and it has to be executed the right way. They have to be willing to to listen to the customers, to the to the people who are saying things that are not traditional in their in their approaches and then and then take some some risks. Um, part of me says, well, where did you, where did you see resistance to this? And how do you, how do you address when you see resistance to the, to the change? But another part makes me think about what, what does the competition, um, say? So I'll give you the option. You can go either direction, right? Um, you know, when they say, how much is there a competitive factor driving this versus just an awareness of listening to to customers to maintain an advantage by driving hard, right? Some organizations may maintain by driving hard. What, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, both are important questions to consider. I think your first question about where have we seen resistance all over the place? You know, I think it's interesting. A lot of departments within our organization think, well, I don't, I don't touch the customer, so I don't have a role to play. And so kind of fighting that battle is certainly a challenge. And I would say that bringing customers in and having their voice heard or getting those employees, those teams out to visit the end customer so that they can hear directly from them is a successful tactic. And, you know, the leadership component is also really important. I would say in addition to that, the other areas where we have found success in terms of that resistance is going in and workshopping within their departments, looking for opportunities for improvement and kind of helping them apply design thinking to some of the ways in which they do business, you know, even with their internal stakeholders or their internal customers. There have been some aha moments, certainly in that as well. One of the things that was really incredibly successful and eye-opening, certainly for me, is in one of our annual customer experience days, the theme was employee experience drives customer experience. And in short, well, there were a lot of learnings from that. And in short, I would categorize those two learnings in two areas of focus or areas of opportunity for us. One is enablement and one is empowerment. What we heard from these employees who were resistant and fearful of change is that they didn't feel enabled with the right tools, meaning like, hey, you want me to focus on customer experience? Number one, I don't even talk to customers. Number two, you've set me up with these archaic, like green screen technologies. You know, this this is how, these are the tools you've given me to be successful. No, thank you. I'm not going to play with you and your your topic du jour. Your re- you know this all this talk of customer experience. So that was the first one, which we've been unpacking for some time. And then the second one is a topic of empowerment. What these employees meant by that, in terms of you know what is that obstacle that's keeping you from participating in CX? What they mean by empowerment or a lack thereof is their leaders might be kind of talking the talk, but they aren't walking the talk. Their leaders are set, are kind of on the bandwagon of CX, and we understand that we have to empower you to do the right thing, give you the freedom, the bandwidth, the trust, all of these elements inherent in empowerment to do the right thing without micromanaging you. But behind closed doors... We heard these employees say that they didn't feel empowered. They didn't feel their leaders were really giving them that empowerment they needed, the freedom they needed to be successful in that space. And so what that led us to on the empowerment topic is engaging our leadership in some training. Uh, we, We actually worked with the Disney Institute to kind of talk about what are those leadership behaviors that will drive empowerment and trust and better communication and these elements that are inherent in in the cultural component of CX. Well, you've dropped, dropped down some really good uh, points of wisdom here, right? Because I'm like, oh, how'd you fix that one? Yeah, that, that's a really good one. Um, and I like the way you break it down between enablement and empowerment, because I think some people 
don't know. I mean, I'm sure it must have taken a little time to distill it down to what it really, the real essence of, of, of what it was so that you could actually get the desired result from the folks that you wanted to inspire, right? Um, I wonder the term, you know, fear, well, the word fear comes up a lot because humans fear change. And I'm curious if there is a mix of fear of success or fear of failure or, or, or both. I mean, where do you see reluctance to change come because you're coming from a very different environment, from the bank, banking into manufacturing. Different people are wired different ways about how they think about money, right? How they think about the, the, the financials and how they think about success. Can you comment a little bit on what, on what you saw and resolved in the space around fear? Some of the psychological elements and the emotional elements that, you know, that's, I'll share with you my opinion. I think, you know, I think that fear of change was really around failure. There is often at Daimler, you know, kind of, as I think I alluded to it before, like, you know, the program du jour, like as an employee, if you're asking me to buy into something and change my behavior, I need to also trust that you're going to do the same and that you're going to be, you're going to hold yourself accountable to holding to what you say that you will do which is this element of empowerment. And I think there's a fear that our leaders in our organization aren't going to follow through with what they are saying they're going to do. And I think there's an element of truth to that. I think that being part of a large global organization where politics are at play, where there's a lot of tradition and history and, you know, kind of very yet traditional ways of doing business I think that all plays into that element of fear and distrust. And I can understand it. I can understand it. Sure. Because people who who grew up making things that work, failure is not a good thing. They don't want to see wheels come, come off or pistons come out of engines or lines that don't stay where they're supposed to stay. That concept of failure is is like, you know, you have one shot. Right. And it's got to get got to be right a, a million times. Right. Versus something that is a little different when you talk about experimenting with 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 customers. And there's also probably a perspective of people saying, why? Right. Why do I need to change? It's one thing if I can hear it directly from a customer that I start to, to feel. But I would expect some folks to look across the aisle and say, we're still number one. We're still top in market share. We're doing great. What you know, it sounds nice, but if we keep making better products, this is gonna this is gonna be better. Can you talk a little bit about the um, you know looking at competition itself and and does comp did competition help at all or does it was it all intrinsic intrinsic and internal? Yeah, I think in terms of the the competition question, that's what really resonates with our senior leaders, right? Because there's this element of like, you know, if I'm the leader of this organization, we are not going to lose market share on my watch. You know, I, so is it, is it going to be Tesla? Is it going to be some other disruptive, you know, new organization in our space? Are we going to go the way of Blockbuster or Kodak or, you know, any of those other examples that we often cite in terms of being disrupted? And, and for us, you know, God, we are not fast movers. And, you know, the fear of some much more agile organization coming in and being able to kind of wipe away what we've built over a long period of time plays, looms large for them. And while historically we've always been very innovative in terms of our product development, we have been far from innovative in terms of you know, what it's like to do business with us. So there's a lot of opportunity on the CX front to kind of address all of those, those elements of like, you know, in addition to the, all the progress that we've made on these amazing vehicles, we've got to have an experience that matches that. You can't have an amazing vehicle and then fall short on everything that comes after that. There, there is risk, there's competitive risk in that. And we know that from looking at some of the experiences, some of the digital capabilities that our competitors are putting into play. Mm -hmm. Sure. And it's it seems like an industry that's 
once you open the door to a competitor, dude, there were there weren't wasn't really that much of a consideration set possibly, but then once the door is open, they're like, wait a minute, now I'm now I have to rethink re- things, and you kind of want to keep them there. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So um, we've covered a lot about the, the the strategic level. How about if we take a step down into a little bit more about how the transition looks like? So if you started this transformation about four years ago. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what that's looked like in terms of programs you start with and programs you, you grew over time or how the, the early successes led or failures led to um, other successes or opportunities? I think in hindsight, we've made some really great progress on the culture front, primarily because of that leadership engagement, as well as the voice of the customer, bringing that into our organization. One area that I wish that I had focused, that we had focused more on in the very early days is measurement. It's not to say we didn't focus on it. It's it's just, I would have dedicated more resources to it because of the, the type of organization that we are. We measure everything. Everything's about KPIs. And because that's kind of inherent in our organization, we need something to hang our hat on, even though we most of our, we all know our decisions are made emotionally, but we need that piece of paper that, that kind of validates the logic behind that decision and that investment. And when I say measurement, I mean, you know, our voice of the customer, we use Medallia as our voice of the customer platform, kind of rolling that out more holistically sooner, I think would be something that I would have done differently. And in addition to that, we have very specific metrics on how we're performing on various CX metrics along the customer journey that I would have better impressed on the organization. The challenge of some of those, though, in the space of B2B at a manufacturing organization like us, is that the way we are organized is very vertical. And the way our customers experience us, you know, from a journey perspective is very horizontal. And so, for example, one of our key metrics is truck delivery, meaning delivering our vehicles on time. And if they're going to be late, communicating it. We do a really crappy job of that, believe it or not, for various reasons. And the reason I cite that as an example is there's no one department in our organization because of how we are organized that owns that. And so what that allows us to do is to kind of point fingers and say, oh, not my job. That's, you know, that's the carrier's job. That's that department's job. And so it's, um, if we had measured that and called that out sooner, I think we could have better addressed that, that, um, obstacle to our operating committee and, um, you know, created some some better solutions and made more headway there. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. It seems if no department owns it, then some people will say, well, then everyone owns customer experience. But if you're trying to make it a new thing and not give people, I don't want to say excuses, not create opportunities for something to fall between the, between the cracks where you haven't defined how to, how to solve that problem, that could be um, particularly challenging, sounds like. Yep, yep. Absolutely. And, you know, it requires a lot of collaboration. And we use that word a lot at Daimler. But when your performance goals are, <laughs> are very vertical, sometimes collaboration just becomes a word that you use instead of a behavior um, that you operate with, right? Yeah, and it and it it's a, then there's a structural challenge, right? Because you can people can then be aware, they can then be they might be enabled, they might have the right tools, right? But they may not necessarily be empowered to solve something that's outside of their outside of their department or outside of their their reach. And you've got to find something that reaches across the silos to do that. Absolutely. Hmm. So does that is that then where you lead from the early stage programs to something that's more um, more nuanced for the for the mid senior levels of the organization to to cross that? It's interesting that you bring up the the mid senior levels of the organization because that is where things tend to get stuck, right? You know, it's easy. Well, I, 
I shouldn't say easy, but perhaps you understand what I mean. It's easy as the CEO where your vantage point is, let's all do what's in, in the best interest of the organization to kind of make decisions accordingly. It's, it's very different when you're a mid-level manager in a silo department where, you know, you're just trying to kind of like get through the day and get through your inbox to be open to collaborating with different departments where you don't maybe see the, the immediate benefit of that from your vantage point. Sure. I mean, if I'm trying to put myself in that person's shoes, I'd say, okay, first I have to do my basic job well. And something that happens upstream or downstream for me could cause a, cause a delay or cause a problem that I'm not really responsible for my, my, my and the job that's in my description, it's in my, my employment agreement or whichever or that I get evaluated on. But there is this, I have this intent to do better, but I don't necessarily know how or I'm not empowered how, or, you know, I'm, I may not have, I may be resentful of Department X that gets more dollars and attention than me. And I, and I'm like, I don't have the ability to, maybe I don't even have the ability to do this. I've got to figure something out, right? Do I have to take this out of hide? Why don't they give me something like there could be a lot of conflicting interests, I guess that could, that could be there. And have you found anything from your old job or like something inherent in the culture that you could use to leverage people making a change or to embracing that risk, I guess is an even better way to say it. Yeah, I think that the one thing that are the most immediate things that comes to mind in response to that, Phil, is is probably just storytelling and citing exam- success stories within the organization, giving people the freedom to experiment, giving them a, a kind of a path forward of, oh, there's, there's somebody, there's a, a great example of a mid-level, mid to senior level manager in our accounting organization. And we kind of came in and videoed him to kind of share him as a success story because the the example he set was, hey, look, I know we're a back office team. We don't really interface with the end customer, but he kind of brought together various collaborators, both within his organization, as well as those he partners with and workshopped and continuously improved and they, there's some very kind of tangible improvements that they've made that indirectly improve the end customer experience. And so kind of citing that, you know, with my job as the, the lead of CX was I saw as like, you know, propping him up, sharing him as a success story, giving people a better understanding of what exactly what behavior we're looking for them to change um, and and sharing that that he did it successfully, all in the face of potential failure. And he even shared some initial first early first starts where he did fail and and kept at it. So there are lots of those little stories throughout the organization. And we kind of almost like little investigative journalists go and flush those out and put a spotlight on them and and share them as broadly as we can. And and in different format, you know, we do a lot of, we have a social intranet internally, but we also have like large digital display boards for in-person sharing um, in the lobby of lobbies of our organizations and and, and also at in-person events. So just continuously telling these, these stories Um, and, and people like really, we get a lot of feedback from employees that they love that because I think CX is the is one area that we do a lot of storytelling and that that seems to have a some sort of role in in behavior change I think. Yeah, I would totally believe that. Um I think we like to often say that you know the people who tell the best stories win in the marketplace and I think that's a that whether it's an internal marketplace for attention and energy and ideas or it's an external marketplace storytelling is is a is a huge part I'm curious about did you ever get to the the feeling of what was the motivation of this individual why did this person do do what they they did and take a risk that others might not you know some of that maybe is just 
the DNA of the individual. I, if I look across at the people who were really highly engaged in CX, I remain surprised at really who the topic resonates with. I mean, as I mentioned, you know, who would have thought the head of accounting would be excited to participate in something like this? But I think it's people. I mean, the, the one common factor is it's people who are always looking to continuously improve things and crossed with people who are culture advocates who under really understand the value of culture people who aren't just you know punching in a time clock but really want to make a difference in the lives of the people that they're um, engaging with daily so it sounds like people who are really bringing a passion to the work people who buy into the story and who are then willing to make an effort to kind of to, to kind of walk the walk right to really live it the other thing that I've heard from employees in terms of CX is that they find that it has given them a greater sense of purpose when they can connect themselves to the end customer, when they can somehow make something just even just iteratively better for those that they work with or our end customer. And I find that to be pretty cool, you know, that it's given people a, a kind of a reason to have a, a skip in their step, uh, rather than, you know, the mundane task of doing something, you know, the same thing day in, day out. They're looking at ways to like, hey, maybe I do need to give that, you know, return that email within the same day versus you know, versus returning the email with by the end of the week or like really thinking about how might my response time have a, a direct impact on the the end customer. I know that's a very simple kind of small mundane example, but but it has forced people to think about like it does make a difference. What I do does make a difference. Sure, sure it does. You can have the right answer in an hour, in a day, or in a week. Having the right answer is one part of the the equation. Um, how quickly you get the right answer is is the other, and how you make that e- efficient or repeatable. I mean, that's got to be a, a big deal for, for someone like that. So, you know, it, it's interesting. It leads into a thread of you talked about metrics and you talked about culture. How do you balance the quantitative and the qualitative? I mean, the quant you probably got got down from some history, but the qualitative is probably um, emerging. How do you start to broach that part in a way that enhances this culture? I don't have a great answer. I feel like, I, you know, I, how do you measure engagement and you know, I think we have encouraged the various departments identify major initiatives that they would like to workshop on our annual CX days. And that, and we measure and track that and, and follow up on it. And we group it by senior executive and so forth. We also do interesting kind of qualitative metrics, like how many people participated in, you know, event XYZ, um, how I'm trying to think of, we, we have, we have CX champions who are kind of our cultural change agents embedded throughout the organization. And so we do a lot of rewards and recognition with them. We measure how many employees we have had engaged in our, what we call our day in the life program, which is getting employees out into the field and meeting with our end customers or even meeting with drivers, how many employees we have participate in what we call ride and drives. So many of our employees, for example, have never even been in a, in a truck. And so getting them in there and, and, and giving them the opportunity to ride around in one and, and talk to some of the drivers. And so things like that where you know we count the number but we also highlight the stories and we and we interview the the employees after they've had that experience to to share what they've learned and um and then we broadcast that throughout the organization that's great i love the, i love it the very great part at the end right we count the numbers we tell the stories we broadcast across the organization so you're you're touching it and a number of, a number of different levels which is which is awesome so how then would you describe the vision for the vision for the future? What's the, what's the direction? Yeah. So I would say, so, the, so there, there are kind of two mantras that we, that we maintain. One is, um, and I shared this with you when we chatted by phone a couple of weeks ago, leadership experience drives employee experience, drives customer experience. So LX drives EX drives CX. 
And that's really kind of that cultural element where we understand the correlation between each of those three components on a cultural front. From a CX, just external focused front, our CX vision is simply just a list of five attributes. Because when our when we talk to our customers, it really all boils down to this list. And those include speed, simplicity, communication, consistency, and innovation. And what we find as our as our customers share feedback with us is that on the innovation front, when it comes to product innovation, we get very high scores. But on all of those other four elements, we are we score pretty poorly. Um, you know, this transformation takes years, right? It's not a, it's it's not uh, done overnight. But what? But we're making progress. Um, our, you know, our one of the the data that we cite in our customer experience feedback is that it takes our customers an average of six attempts to reach out to us to get a problem solved. So, you know, that's not fast. That's not communicating well. Um, you know, or simply. So I, I recently had a, an experience, my partner and I had an experience with a very large rental car company. And it was, it really resonated for me in terms of, um, you, you know, that, that simplicity in the communication. We left um, the rental car and boarded a plane in Chicago. However, for days and days and days, we're getting phone calls from this rental car company saying, you still haven't returned your car. When are you going to return your car? Do you need an extension? And then the, they, they, they began to escalate and escalate and escalate. And we're calling and we're calling and we're not getting answers. And this person is saying, talk to this person. And, oh, that's not my job. And, oh, you need to talk to the center in Chicago, but it's closed. And, you know, you, it's maddening. And so on, in a similar way, um, that's you know, what it, it has been like to do business with us when a customer has a problem that they need resolved or a, an outstanding question, there's, there's not kind of one centralized streamlined way in which we manage that. We're, we're in the process of, of addressing it, but it, it's, it's taking us quite a while to solve some of this. So anyway, those are, that's a long-winded answer to your question. No, it's a, but it's a great one though, because it highlights how you could take a personal story and use it to build empathy with someone on your team. Because if you had said, well, hey, you remember that driver? I'm going to call him Color Jane, right? Remember that driver Jane that we rode along with on, you know, Ride and Drive or, you know, on, on CX Day? This is the type of experience that, I'm ha- that I've had. Oh, you've had an experience like that. Yeah, they're dealing with this, but just in a slightly different way. And then it becomes, it becomes personal. and becomes a, an ability for a person to touch onto that onto that experience in a different way and then think about how they might how they might address that how they might be part of the solution at least be a little more a little more willing last couple of questions before we go to the right lightning round as you're going down that round are there any trends or technologies that you think are going to be particularly helpful in helping the the cx go to the future and enhance your brand I think self-service and on-demand support will be big for us. So kind of automating some of that and simplifying and streamlining some of the ways that when a vehicle breaks down um, or when a, when a customer just has a, an issue they need um, resolved, whether it's like warranty or service related, giving them the opportunity to do that in an on-demand way will be really big. And that, you know, that touches on the topic of digital transformation and just how big that is within the CX realm and what that means at an organization that is the size of Daimler um, is that business and IT have got to change the way that we work with each other. And, you know, it's a really big challenge culturally, certainly, because the way we're used to working together is finger pointing. You know, the business throws throws over, hey, we need you to solve this. So figure out a technology and make it snappy. And um, and then IT comes back, you know, some months later and says, here you go. And the business says, that's not what we asked for. And so there are these mismatched commu- um, expectations and communication is poor. There's a lot of finger pointing, a lot of blame and if we are going to remain competitive, speaking of, you know, the competitive landscape that you brought up a while ago, 
we got to make a huge shift in that that regard. And we're making baby steps, but we got to move faster than we are. Mm, which probably leads to a bit of a, a power, I would say power struggle, but um, the, it, is, it would be a shift in power or in relationships or, or dominance of the country. I would expect some, well, I have seen some companies are dominated by engineering and some companies are, are dominated by marketing and brand and some companies are dominated by sales. And if there's tectonic shifts in the power balance, it, it becomes it becomes difficult for a number of different different reasons. And this sounds sounds like one of those one of those examples. And so how do you think that the shift in customer experience though delivers to the to the brand itself, the brand experience? Well, I mean, I think in my mind that that, you know, a brand promise um, is is, you know, what you say you're going to do, right? And your customer experience is how you deliver on that promise. So, you know, our, our brand is, is really for all who keep the world moving. That's kind of our, we are in, we're saying we are in service to everybody who's moving things around the world, whether it's Amazon or Walmart or Penske or, you know, any truck you see on the highway. And what we hear from those customers is we need you to keep us moving (laughs) because when we are not moving, we're not making money. And so if we don't deliver on the ability to help keep them moving, to keep, you know, what is, how quickly are we turning around their vehicles when they need a service, when there is a a repair, when they're waiting for weeks upon weeks on a part that's coming from China, you know, all of those elements come into play. And when they are waiting on questions that uh, or issues that need to be resolved, or there is a windshield wiper that on the last 150 vehicles that they bought from us, that's not working correctly. All of those things contribute to, you know, what we are promising them. And if we can't deliver on that, that's, that's poor CX. Mm-hmm. And increasingly, and increasingly important to these consumers who have had their levels set, their expectations raised by other industries around. Amazing. So uh, it is crazy that the time has gone as quickly as it has. Um, uh, but we are on to the lightning round. We do this for with everybody at, at the show. The last three questions are pretty much the same every time, and just want to see your quick responses to these. So are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. All right. Um, Question one. Um, As a customer, what's an example of one of your favorite customer experiences? I have kind of a boring answer to that. I love shopping at Nordstrom. And I feel like every time I walk in there, you know, there's some connection. Somebody is going to remember my name, remember what my preferences are. um, and, And that's both digital as well as in person. And I feel like I can, <laughs> I feel like I can return something that's two years old, but is not holding up to my expectations and they will take it back and exchange it or, or just return it, um, at, at no fee. And th- so there's just a lot of, kind of trust that's in, inherent in that. And I greatly appreciate that. Yeah. I don't think it's boring at all. I think it's amazing to have a, a brand that does, that does as well as they do in doing exactly that, making everybody feel that way about, about uh, shopping there. So super. Um, number two, if there's one thing you could change about people's perception of the role of customer experience at a company, what would it be? I would immediately change the challenge that customer experience resides only in one department or only in customer you know, customer facing roles. Yeah. Our, our field teams say that, and our customers say, we love the people that we engage with, that, you know, the person that we engage with in, in person, your field team members. The challenge resides when our field team members have to go back into the organization to get questions or problems resolved. That's where the weight exists. That's where the communication breaks down Mm -hmm. um, with, you know, all of the disconnects occur. And if every single individual in our organization understood it's, you know, the, the speed at which they return a call of somebody in the field or, you know, how they engage with those field team members, et cetera, makes a difference to the overall end customer experience, that would be a, a really amazing thing. And we would, we would be transforming much faster. 
you know, that's the real transformation, right? From having a customer service department to a customer experience ethos, right? That says everybody is in service to the end goal, the mission, the the customer, and whether it's a, a one-off thing or a systematic thing that they need to change, all those cha- all those changes and opportunities really matter. Okay, uh, last but certainly not least, least, what one lesson for the listeners would you like them to take away from your experience as a CX leader? This one is going to sound overly simple, but I maintain it, you know, across the board. Start by listening. Start by listening. In every problem we try to solve, in every CX initiative that we pursue, you would be amazed at the frequency with which we forget to listen, that we, for, that we forget to start with voice of the customer. And because oftentimes organizations such as Daimler believe that we, that we know, we make assumptions. We think we know the right way. But our customers, if you would just take the time to listen to them in the front end and really understand what their pain point is, you would then inform what is the right problem we're trying to solve. Too many times we make those assumptions and it leads us down the wrong path. And we end up solving something that never needed to be solved. (laughs) Sure, sure. You know, one of the times when I'm talking to people and I try to get them clear on when they're making assumptions versus assertion of flat fact, I say something like, what would have to be true for what you just said to be true? Right? What foundationally has to be true or that could change or be different for that to be true. Have you heard any keywords from people responding to your some of those questions that give you an idea that they're 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 not listening? You know, that they're not starting with the voice of the customer? Oh yeah. All the time. I mean <laughs> <laughs> and they just you know, yeah. when we work with the different departments throughout the organization on CX efforts, even after CX trainings, you know. And I, I've got I've gotten to a point where I just that's the first question I ask, and so many times they'll you know they'll stare back at me blankly because I'll say, okay, what's your voice of customer? Right. And they'll say, well, I mean, we haven't you know, and they kind of like hedge and they they hem and they haw, and it's like, nope, I don't even want to have this conversation until you have what that voice of the customer is. You got to start there. Well, thank you so much for yeah. your time. It's really been a, a great yeah. talking with you. I. I Always, we always pick up some really neat nuggets, and then uh, and then some of the canon of things that like just work. And I think you've you've covered a, a lot of that, and um, clearly you have are, are on a way with this journey that you've got at uh, at Daimler. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's always fun to to chat with interesting people who are passionate about the same topics and, and uh, to, to chat about CX in particular. So thank you. Well, it's great to have you here. Hopefully we can have you back sometime and hear about yeah. how things have progressed over time. Yeah, I would love that. Uh, and with that, we'd like to say thank you everybody for coming up and joining this episode. We'll see you next time on an episode of the Customer Experience Show. Bye for now. Christy's last point is critical and one we hear often on the show. Start by listening to the customer. Use their voice to guide the way, because making assumptions means you could be wasting time solving the wrong problem. And when your customers know you're listening, they'll be with you for the long haul. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Customer Experience Show. This podcast is brought to you by IBM. If you are responsible for customer experience, they created a white paper just for you. In the CX North Star Report, you can learn more about how to activate your CX vision. Download it with the link in the show notes.